The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Friday edition, Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBC. CSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland enjoying the program on Sky Sports. Big Cat is with us with that thick, lustrous head of dark, just for men hair. It, it turned out very well. I saw you tweet the box. You were ready to go. I like it. It's a good look for you. New jacket, ready to roll. Good morning. How are you? I feel great. I have a huge announcement for everyone who's watching this show right now. So last week, Valentine's Day, Friday, I was in Chicago for the NBA All-Star Game. Yes, Mike, that's a real league that they play after football season. So I was there, I was taking it in, and I missed Valentine's Day on this show. So because I missed Valentine's Day on this show, I'm making this my personal Valentine's Day show. I'm telling you, Mike, right now, I love you to your face. And because I love you, I'm only going to dominate you in one debate today. I'm going to choose which one. It might be random, but I'm going to only dominate you in one debate. And instead, I'm going to forego my time and and give it to you, forego. Yeah, it's the active forego. It's the active forego. Blue perfect. Listen, I know today is a lot about the CBA. I do not understand the CBA whatsoever. I consider myself a very much common fan, a regular guy who loves the NFL, consumes it, you know, every single Sunday, but I don't understand the ins and outs, the legalese. So today, instead of dominating you in debates, I'm going to use this as an instructional show for the people at home. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to have you teach me about the CBA like I'm a five-year-old, and today we're going to learn, and I'm going to be the vessel in which people can learn through. Now, I don't and I appreciate that part. The other part, though, with the domination in any debates we have today, I think what happened Wednesday night may have redefined what it means to get dominated in a debate. So I don't know. I mean, th- 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 we're in a new reality now. And, and I hope, I hope, I mean, the, the bar, 
the bar has either raised or lowered. I'm not quite sure which is the right direction. But after Wednesday night, I, I think it's going to take a lot for me to feel like I've been dominated. Let me just say that. Although, mini Mike, I don't know. We could we could workshop that. <laughs> All right. Uh, or a little flippy flop is the case. <laughs> yeah, a little flippy flop. Yeah. Uh, here, here we go. Uh, CBA. Uh, to, uh, there's no way to pivot from that to something that is slightly more grave and serious for the NFL. There is a CBA proposal that the NFL has accepted. And now the question is, will the NFL PA do the same? And there's one very important point that I think a lot of people have lost sight of. This isn't something that's just popped out of the blue, Big Cat. This isn't the first offer the NFL has made. This is the product of months of negotiation. And it's kind of like when two lawyers get together to try to work out a civil lawsuit and they come up with a settlement that they like. Then you have to go back and sell it to your clients. That's what's been going on the last three weeks. And it happened Super Bowl week when the NFLPA first tried to sell this thing to the board of player reps. That's one player per team, 32 in all. And they got some resistance. That's when I think people started to get a little nervous within the negotiating teams that maybe the NFLPA is not going to be able to sell this to its clients. And I think yesterday's meeting by the owners and statement from the owners was aimed at basically pushing all of this to the NFLPA to say, look, we've done our part here. We have an agreement that we reached at the bargaining table. Now you have to sell it to your people. And I think everybody needs to understand that's where this is. This isn't the first offer that you just reject and keep negotiating. They've negotiated for nearly a year. This is where they've decided it needs to be. And now the question is, Big Cat, can the NFLPA actually sell it to the board of player reps, executive committee, and ultimately the rank and file? Okay, I understand all that. Let's back up real quick to set the table a little bit more for the people at home and for myself. What? So at what point, Mike, do I have to worry as a fan that there would be a potential lockout? Like, I know this is the first very public setting where it's like, here's the proposal, go sell it to the players, Come back to us. But where in the timeline is this going to be? Because I assume it's early. I assume this is going to be negotiated back and forth. There's no chance that the NFLPA just signs off on this and we just keep going and we're like, hey, that was awesome. That was easy. Let's keep playing football. So if you had to guess, like, what would be the timeline of when this gets signed and what would be the timeline of when I have to start being nervous that it might be a lockout? And it's not a guess. I think at a minimum, it's an educated guess. Here's where they are. The NFL wants them to either accept the offer that's on the table, and there's some room for movement. For example, there is still not a final decision as to when 17 games for the regular season would begin. 2021, 2022, 2023, that's not in there yet. They still have to work on that. But they want to get it done soon. They want to get it in place by the start of the new league year on March 18. And the statement issued yesterday from the league made it clear that if they don't accept this, if we don't get it done, we're going to go forward with the 2020 season, the last year of the 2011 CBA. There'd be no lockout. There can't be a lockout or a strike while there is still time left under the current deal. There's one full season left. We would start hearing about, thinking about, talking about lockout a year from now, March of 2021. And there'd be two options for the league. Option one would be to do what they did in 2011, which is to say, we're locking you out until you cry uncle. And they continued to negotiate, and they eventually worked out a deal right before the start of the preseason. They missed the Hall of Fame game, but nothing else. 
what else the, the, the league could do, and I think the union is bracing for this one this time around, instead of locking the players out, what they can do, bargain to impasse, where they reach a point where they're just staring at each other. It's like, why are we here? We're not making any progress. And then the league can impose its last best offer and say, these are the rules. Sorry, guys, this is it. We can't reach a deal. Here are the rules. We want to continue to do business. And it basically dares them to go on strike. That's kind of what happened in 87. The players went on strike and it all collapsed after three weeks. This time around, the thinking is that the league would just go ahead and implement its last best offer and the players would not go on strike and they'd continue to negotiate and we wouldn't lose any football at all. I mean, I just think at the end of the day, unless the players have a fundamental change in how they approach this sport and their willingness to give up big money and not play football, we're not going to have a work stoppage that actually affects games because of what we saw in 1987 and what we saw in 2011. So we're a year away from having to worry about it, but based on history, I don't know that it's something we really have to seriously worry about. And I don't want to say that too strongly because that sets us up. That jinxes us, and we're guaranteed then to miss a full season of football. But I'd be stunned if we even miss a week of preseason football in 2021. Okay, so with all that said, uh, now that I understand that, which is actually very helpful, so March 18th, start of the new league year, it's either going to get signed before that or it's going to be basically put on ice, you're saying, until next year around this time. Now, with all that, what would you handicap it at? What would you handicap this CBA getting signed before March 18th this year? Having it be literally no, like, even threat of a lockout because it gets signed a year in advance of when that, like, hey, we got to do something here, deadline starts to approach. Well, let me give you my background on this. I've been talking to a lot of people over the past few weeks who know what's going on with this, and my sense has been, as I said earlier, the upper reaches of NFLPA leadership are fine with this deal. This is the product of 10 months of negotiation, and they think this is the best deal they're going to get. And one of the reasons they want to move now is because the league then takes labor peace, parlays it into new TV contracts that will be even more lucrative now than they may be later because if they wait a year to do TV contracts, the presidential election may take a large chunk out of the TV ratings. There could be a recession a year from now. Some people fear that. So maybe the TV deals aren't as good a year from now. So I think the upper reaches of the NFLPA realize now's the time to do a deal because now's the time to do the TV deals. So I had believed before yesterday that this thing was moving toward getting done and it's going to get done. And I think the NFL is trying to engineer this sense of momentum. But then last night on Twitter, when I see J.J. Watt taking a break from his honeymoon to say hell no to this deal, and then Richard Sherman, who's on the executive committee, is saying hell no to this deal, I don't know what's going to happen today when the NFLPA has a conference call with the executive committee and the board of player reps. Because I was under the impression The executive committee's on board with this proposal. And I was under the impression that if it got to a vote of the rank and file, at least 50% plus one of the 1,900 dues-paying members would accept it. The only only difficulty was going to be getting at least two-thirds of the 32 player reps. You need 22 of them to sign off of it. That's where it was going to take some work. After last night and seeing the reaction by Richard Sherman, now, look, I don't know if he's just trying to to flex a little muscle to get the 17-game season pushed back to 2023 because there is still some play in the joints here for negotiation purposes. But, you know, I went from feeling like it was 95% done to maybe 65 based upon the pushback last night. I was just surprised by the pushback. But today is the day we're going to know more. Today is the day where the NFLPA 
is either going to take this thing or uh, or say go to hell. Or uh, I think option three would be continue to talk and try to push this as close to the NFL's deadline as possible in order to get a few more, just sweeten the pot a little bit more. But but I, I still think when push comes to shove, DeMora Smith is going to stand up and explain to these guys, look, this is what you hired me to do. This is the best deal we're going to get. We're not going to get a better deal next August. If anything, we may get a worse deal next August. This is the time to move forward because the TV contracts are riding on it. So I, I don't think it's going to happen today, but... I still believe before March 18, the players are going to see the light and do this deal. And maybe they're going to get some better terms between now and then. But I think this deal is going to get done. Okay, so if you paid attention to things that really matter, you know J.J. Watt is no longer on his honeymoon. He got reunited with his doggos and gave him boops on the nose just uh, like two days ago. He had an Instagram video. So, like, catch up with that. Last question on this, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but where is the wiggle room that you're talking about. So if Richard Sherman and the players and, and and they say absolutely not, where is their room in the deal that they can capture something back? Is it I saw the I saw the idea that the 17th game is not going to be a full game check. It's going to be capped at $250,000. That seems ridiculous. Is there possibly a wiggle room with the marijuana testing? Is there possibly wiggle wiggle room with uh, the amount of buys, like where is the room here for the players to get a little bit back from this deal that seems like it's, you know, this is our best offer, but you know, it's never the best offer. Right. I think that the biggest point for negotiation is when will 17 games kick in? The league wants to do it 2021. The players want to wait until 2023 to avoid this whole uh, formula of how you pay the guys who have contracts that cover 2021 and 2022. There are only 70 players who are signed into 2023. Makes it easier to come up with a formula. And think about it. You get one extra game check for one extra game. That's not good enough. And for the guys who are making more than $250,000 a week, to have it capped at that is ridiculous. So that is an area where they can push back. So, look, this may be bluster by Sherman. This may be an effort to try to squeeze just a little bit more toothpaste out of the tube. And again, the first thing they have to figure out is when there's going to be 17 games. So this may just be part of that. I hope it's part of it. I hope this thing isn't on the brink of falling apart because if it does fall apart, that's when we have real issues and real problems for both sides because it gets kicked to next year. And then maybe the deal isn't as good because the TV deals don't get done now when maybe there's more money available in 2020 than there would be in 2021. Let's take a break and continue this discussion about the deal that's on the table, and let's focus a little bit more upon what happens if the NFLPA decides to say to the NFL, sorry, we don't want it. We'll talk again next year. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. So what do the players get if they accept the deal that is on the table, the deal that the NFL formally accepted yesterday when the owners got together? Well, one of the things is how they cut the pie, 48.5% is what the total output will be for the players. And there's always going to be exceptions, deductions, and things get a little screwy before you start carving it up. But it's a good percentage. It's a better percentage than what they currently get. And that gives them a motivation to grow the pie as much as possible. That's one of the reasons why I think D. Smith is pushing this now, because if you get better TV deals, that's more money that ultimately goes 
to the players via the money that's available under the salary cap. Some other highlights, Big Cat. Minimum salary would go up $90,000 right away for all players. And look, we, we talk about guys making $25, $30 million a year all the time. There are a lot of guys who are making the absolute minimum. You kick it up by $90,000, that's a significant bump. Also, four more players per roster when they go to 17 games, more jobs, more players. That's something that players have wanted. A big concession that we never thought the league would make. Now, they haven't gotten rid of the marijuana policy if they accept this new proposal, but the marijuana policy is basically going to be gutted. They will reduce the testing window from late April to early August, so you have to stay clean the whole time until your number comes up for your annual marijuana test. It's going to be reduced to a two-week window, so you only have to be clean for that two weeks, and you no longer have to be as clean as you used to be. Several years ago, they moved the minimum threshold of THC metabolites or whatever the specific term is to 35 nanograms. Now they're going to move it to 150, and noted marijuana expert Chris Sims tells me it takes about five days to get under 150 nanograms, and he knows that from experience. So he he likes that. Now, again, it doesn't cost the owners anything. Big Cat, we saw this a lot in 2011. When it's time to get the deal done, all of a sudden, the owners start making concessions on all sorts of things that cost them nothing. And actually, the current marijuana policy does cost the owners because it keeps quality players off the field for no good reason. That will end, for the most part, under this new CBA. That's a no-brainer. And, I, you know, if you've ever been around football players and pro athletes, like a lot of guys use it recreationally for pain management in states that are legal. Like this is the evolving times here where you have to you have to kind of catch up with, you know, people's thoughts around marijuana and looking across the country and how many states have it legalized and how ridiculous it is that the NFL would basically have strict policies. It's crazy. So it's smart that they're doing this because I think this is actually a big point for the players that they basically are making these tests uh, stupidity tests. Like, can you stop smoking weed for five days? And if you can do that, then you can play and you're fine. So it's smart that they're doing that. And I agree with you. Like, this is – it's funny how NFL owners always have a few things that they can basically give to the players – that really don't end up costing them anything, and it looks like they're negotiating. And they're always negotiating from a place of strength because at the end of the day, we've seen it with the lockouts or the, you know, threatened lockouts. Guys don't want to go from, you know, a season of playing football and getting paid millions to not getting paid millions and sitting on their couch. I wouldn't either. I don't blame the players one bit. It's just a very hard position to be in if you potentially are losing millions and millions of dollars in the prime of your career over a CBA that should get signed. And I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole now. I spoke at length about this last hour, Big Cat, but I wonder whether or not the union model even works for the players. And let me explain this as simply as I can, because you're not going to have players who want to miss football games and want to give up gigantic salaries for a full year to exert maximum leverage on the owners. I think the better approach for the players could be let the CBA expire, decertify the union, and then let the league implement its rules, and you just sue them into, as you would say, Bolivian, over every rule that these 32 independent businesses are trying to apply to its collective workforce. Because let me tell you, Big Cat, the antitrust violations 
are rampant if you take away the protection that comes from having a unionized workforce. You take away a unionized workforce, the franchise tag, antitrust violation, salary cap, antitrust violation, the draft, antitrust violation. That may be the best way for the players to attack the league now. And that's exactly what happened with the Reggie White antitrust lawsuit after the failed strike. The union had an antitrust lawsuit that lasted for five years. They had the NFL on the ropes and they got free agency that way. They may need to think about going back to that to get their best possible deal. Okay, I don't understand anything you just said. It makes no sense to me, but I will take your word for it. You were a lawyer. Everyone knows Mike Florio never lost a case he won. So I'm, I'm going to take your word <laughs> for, you for it. I'm going to take your word for it. This makes sense. <laughs> but 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 let me make sure. Let me make sure you understand. When because the NFL isn't one unified business. It's 32 different businesses, and when they start having rules among 32 businesses, this is like McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, all having rules about how much we're going to pay and how much money is available to pay our workers and how we can trade workers from one to the other. And we draft our workers coming in. It would be treated as 32 unique businesses and it would be chaos. There would be no draft. There would be no franchise tag. You would sign a contract with your employer. And when it ends, you go wherever you want to go. That may be the best way for the players to attack every antitrust violation without a union to give the league cover and to give the league an exemption from antitrust violations. That may be the way to do it. That may be the only way to get the best possible deal. And if they're not prepared to do that, if they're not prepared to go on strike, they just need to take this deal. You're the candidate of change. I, I mean, that's, I, I don't, candidate again, I don't understand it. Candidate of chaos. I, I love it. I, I think it makes sense. I'm sure someone smarter than both of us will say that's stupid, but I like it. It's a low bar. We'll be right back. You're fun to watch, man. All right, what's going to be better, like signing a new contract or not having to answer questions about getting a new contract? Which will actually be better? That's tough. Uh, probably signing a contract. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, let's be honest. How many zeros will I have in my account? That is better than answering the question or not answering the question. That's Dak Prescott with Chris Sims at the Super Bowl and the process of the Cowboys trying to get Dak Prescott signed to a new contract continues. Off-season props time. We just did in our little TV break and over-under on number of remaining career games for Antonio Brown. I went under 0.5. Big Cat, did you chime in on that one? I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over. I've known the NFL enough that that someone will give him a shot, and I think he'll probably uh, take that shot maybe for a year and, and get it together. By the way, Sims, all-time awkward uh, question to lead off that Dak Prescott interview, being like, hey, you're fun to watch. Is it Chris Farley? <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> let me say this, though. I know the NFL, too, and I think you can cross a bridge that the NFL says, that's it, you're gone, you're not coming back. And I feel like the accumulation of things we've seen, I don't shake your head. I can see you shaking your head. The accumulation of things we've seen, I think that the the – distractions outweigh the talent. He's really going to have to do some heavy lifting to convince people that he's okay and ready to be part of a team and not be a chronic problem because there's too many other guys out there who can play. All right, the first real prop for this segment. What happens first? Tom Brady signs with a team, any team, or Dak Prescott gets his deal with the Dallas Cowboys? That's got to be Tom Brady's signs with the team, right? I, I would imagine Tom Brady's not going to be a free agent for very long. I would say it's probably only going to last a week. And Dak Prescott, he might see this all the way through. He might, you know, this might be a franchise tag situation where Dak Prescott goes to camp or, or doesn't go to camp, doesn't go to OTAs, 
And and this bleeds all the way into, uh, I don't know, June, July. I think that could absolutely happen. Whereas Tom Brady will not, we won't be sitting here in the middle of April being like, where's Tom Brady going to go? He's going to sign with a team within the first week. I agree with you. And with Dak Prescott, one thing we have to discern is what is the real deadline? Is it the deadline for the application of the franchise tag? And look, if a new CBA gets done, the Cowboys don't have a a franchise tag and a transition tag to play with. They have one or the other. And they'd surely like to sign Amari Cooper or Dak Prescott so they can tag the other. Because if they don't, one of those guys will be hitting the open market. And I assume Prescott will get tagged, but they could try to get a deal done with Prescott before that deadline for using the tag. Next deadline is the start of the offseason program. You want him there for Mike McCarthy's first year as the head coach. Next deadline after that would be July 15. That is the deadline for doing a long-term deal with a franchise tag player. I still think that you're right. Brady's going to do a deal with someone, Patriots or someone else, before Dak Prescott signs that contract. And I say that because the guy's been resisting and refusing all efforts by the Cowboys to get him to give in. He's not going to give in now. He's got the leverage now, and I strongly encourage him to use it. All right, more likely to be a starting quarterback next year, Jameis Winston or Phillip Rivers? I mean, this one makes no sense to me. Jameis Winston is a future Hall of Famer. Jameis Winston just got LASIK surgery. Jameis Winston just went 30-30. Jameis Winston had the most yards in the NFL last year. What are we talking about? Jameis Winston. He's going to be a starter. He's going to get a long-term deal. Maybe not with the Bucs. If they're stupid, what do we say? Dysfunctional franchises do dysfunctional things. They should sign Jameis Winston yesterday now that he has LASIK, can see, and is a future Hall of Famer. See, I really can't tell whether or not you believe that or whether this is just part of your shtick with Jameis Winston. It's not Winston. a shtick. And it's not a shtick. You, I got – I want Listen, to- Mike, Mike. You have Jameis Winston derangement syndrome. You would know what that is if you read a book <laughs> by Jameis One of One about the media's bias against a future Hall of Fame quarterback. So, yeah, I've come around on Jameis. I used to laugh. I used to make those jokes. I used to have derangement syndrome. The guy can ball. Yeah, he, he can't see linebackers and throws pick sixes, as you see right now on the screen. Guess what? He's got LASIK. He's going to be fine. Here's the thing, though, in some degree of seriousness, 5,109 yards is eighth all time for any NFL single season. There are only four human beings who have ever thrown for more yards in a season than Jameis Winston did last year. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger. So he's in pretty good company there. The 30 interceptions... Well, not exactly ideal, but, Mike, but I, when, I think I think I'm saying no, no. I'm saying okay. there's something to work with. All right, I think yes. the Bucks should keep him. I think he's they 20, should keep him. He's 26 years old. Okay, yes, the interceptions are a problem. I mean, but look at Brett Favre. Brett Favre's a gunslinger when he does it. Jameis Winston, you know, everyone tries to make the the whenever someone throws a lot of interceptions, they make the Brett Favre, you know, uh, argument. Hey, Brett Favre was a gunslinger. He took risks, but it actually applies for Jameis because the good is so good, and the upside is clearly there with what you just said, eighth all-time in yards in the NFL history, thir- you know, 30-plus touchdowns last year. So can you fig- – and, and let's not also forget that he's playing Bruce Arians' offense, which the motto is no risk it, no biscuit. So a lot of those, you know, a, a lot of those interceptions, not all of them, he makes mistakes. He's made some comically stupid interceptions – but there also is a room for, like, look at the offense he's in. Bruce Arians wants to throw it downfield. Bruce Arians wants to take risks. 
So can you limit it a little bit? Can you get it from 30 to 18? Because guess what? That would make a, a significantly better quarterback and a guy that you could actually win and go to the playoffs with. I'm the a believer. about Jameis Winston. I, I am too. Look, I am too. And I think that Bruce Arians should welcome the challenge to try to iron out the interceptions and embrace the 5109. I just wonder how much Arians knows from spending a year working with Winston that, you know, maybe Winston doesn't embrace the things that they want him to embrace. Is he taking the coaching? Is he doing the things? Is he putting in the work? And the one thing about Winston that always bothered me, and it goes back to that, that game against Oregon in the national semifinals where he just has those moments of his body trying to do more or what his brain wanting his body to do more than it can, you know, and, and those pop up from time to time. And I, I, I don't know that you can ever fully harness that. That's the one thing that I don't like. You don't see a lot of other quarterbacks with those just goofy cartoonish mistakes where they're just trying to make something happen. Hey, I'm just trying to make something happen. Well, you're not good enough to make the thing happen that you're trying to make happen, but still five, one, zero, nine. I'm with you. Winston's more likely to be a starter this year than Phillip Rivers. I mean, Phillip Rivers, uh, he had seven interceptions in a pair of back-to-back primetime games. You think people are going to forget about that? You know, it's funny. Phillip Rivers has a funky, ugly throwing motion. You don't notice it until he puts up 20 interceptions against 23 touchdowns and seven in a pair of primetime games. And and I just feel like between the two guys, Winston's a better option. All due respect to Phillip Rivers. I love Phillip Rivers. I love what he's done. But right now, I think Winston gives you a better chance to win than Rivers. Yeah, agreed. It's a, it's a no-brainer to me, especially considering age as well. All right, more likely to win another MVP award, Cam Newton, currently of the Panthers, or Matt Ryan, who is under contract for the next several years with the Falcons? This is a tough one, although, I, you know, I, I, I'm i worried about how both these guys are going to age because Matt Ryan, we know, is not the most mobile. Matt Ryan's kind of in a weird way, a quarterback of a bygone area era where he doesn't have even, you know, like there's a difference between a mobile quarterback and a quarterback that can move well in the pocket and, and kind of escape like an Aaron Rodgers versus Cam Newton, where you could actually say both are kind of mobile quarterbacks. Matt Ryan is neither. So I'm going to stay Matt Ryan just because we know what, what, you know, what his next few years look like. He's going to be on the Falcons. You know, Dan Quinn, got, they saved Dan Quinn's job. He still has Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. We don't know where Cam Newton's going to play next year. We don't know the weapons around him. We don't know his health going forward. But I, I would definitely, for the option here was neither, and neither will even finish top three overall in MVP voting. That's what I would pick. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is this. The world has changed dramatically since both Cam Newton and Matt Ryan won their MVP awards. We now have Patrick Mahomes, who is going to be a shortlist contender Every year, Lamar Jackson, shortlist contender every year. And I think between the two, Cam Newton's got the better shot because I think he's getting traded. I don't know it. Haven't heard it. I'm just reading the tea leaves. I think he's getting traded. And I think healthy Cam Newton, new environment. I think the Chargers should be at the front of the line trying to work out a deal because they need excitement in that new stadium in L.A. so they can at least get, you know, 30% of the place with Chargers fans and not fans of the other team. But I think you get him in the right situation and you get him used the right way. He's still capable of doing very special things. And I think you're right. Matt Ryan's skill set isn't conducive to standing out in today's game. Newton's is if you can get him in a spot where he's healthy and they get the most out of him. 
I think the health part is is what scares me there. And and, and like I said, I, I wouldn't expect either to, but uh, Matt Ryan last year, he still had 4,500 yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. I mean, those aren't obviously MVP numbers, but he was playing last year. He was healthy for the majority of the year. I think he missed one game. And so the, the health thing is the only bet I'm making here, but I would, I would bet neither guy is going to be an MVP again if I had that option. More touchdown catches in 2020. Jason Witten, who would like to return to the Cowboys, but that hasn't been finalized yet, or Greg Olson, who signed this week with the Seahawks. Hmm. Ah, that's a tough one. I'll go with Greg Olson just because he's my guy. I'll go with Greg Olson. Uh, you know, he'll work well with Russell Wilson, and he's got definitely more in the tank than Jason Witten. Obviously, both both players on the back nine the last couple, you know, 17th, 18th hole of their career. But Greg Olson definitely has more left in the tank than Jason Witten at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. And look, I don't know that the new Cowboys regime even wants him. He's a Jason Garrett guy. There's a chance he's going to end up with the Giants, which would be awesome if he's playing for the Giants. Not that he'd be the number one option there at tight end. He's not going to be the number one option anywhere. Just the question is, does he want to keep it going as a player? I think his longer-term goal isn't to go back to broadcasting. It's to get into coaching. So I think that's part of the the analysis for him as well. I'll go with Olsen because he's under contract with a team. We know he's going to play for now. We don't know what Witten's going to do. All right. Uh, last one, very important as we head into combine week. Which quarterback will the dreaded anonymous scout rip first, Joe Burrow or Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Uh, ooh, I think Tua. I think Tua. I think you'll hear the um, something about his family, you know, moving with him to Alabama, maybe their helicopter parents. That seems like something that, that – uh, Anonymous scouts would like to throw out there to try to, you know, diminish his skill set, even though the two are not related whatsoever. I think Tua will get the first anonymous scout. Yeah, I think so, too. Also, because it's kind of locked in that Joe Burrow is going to be the number one overall pick. I mean, the reason the anonymous scout rips a player, and this is the rule of thumb that we need to keep in mind every year at this time. If a team really likes a guy, the team will use the anonymous scout privilege to rip the guy in this bizarre football Machiavellian effort to make sure the guy slides down the board so they can draft him. So if you love a guy, you talk crap about him. If you hate a guy, you praise him because you want some idiot ahead of you to take him pushing down the board, the guy you actually want. That is the most accurate rule of thumb as it relates to pre-draft chatter. And I think with Tua, there's, there's more of an opportunity to engineer a slide. So there's going to be a greater temptation for a team that's maybe in the teens that would like to get Tua to start saying all sorts of bad things about him. So maybe he does like an Aaron Rodgers type of a free fall all the way into the 20s, Big Cat. Oh, well, the Bears should get back up there and try to try to snag him. Isn't this draft stuff so much fun, how, how we're talking about, like, you know, adults ripping 20-year-olds 20, 20 just, just so they can get maximum value out of their contract? It's great. It's a great time. Well, and, and, and that's – you know what? Several years ago, I quit trafficking in that. I won't write about it. We'll only write about it when we're making fun of someone who has eaten the garbage again and publishing the the exploits of the anonymous scout without acknowledging that there is a very real motivation for teams out there to put bad things into the media in the hopes that they can ultimately draft the guy when it's time to put names on cards. We're going to take a break. When we return, a player on the worst team in the league thinks that that team can make a 49ers-style turnaround this year. If the Bengals can't do it, who can? We'll consider that next on PFT Live. 
Next week in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine, we will be broadcasting live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern on NBCS. And gets a little screwy with the radio re-air, but that's okay. You'll have the re-air on NBC Sports Radio the first three hours, but from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern, live on NBCSN. A vast array of guests. All the coaches and GMs will be there, and we're trying to get as many of those fish in the boat as we possibly can. Big Cat, you'll be there as well. Our paths will cross at some point. And a guy who ran the 40-yard dash faster than anyone at the scouting combine, John Ross. He's a believer that the Cincinnati Bengals in 2020 can, as he said, flip the script the way the 49ers did in 2019 and made it to the Super Bowl after being 4-12 and in 2018. Are you buying that the Bengals have a chance to be a team that can turn it around quickly? No. No, why are we forgetting? Why is everyone forgetting? Because this is what's going to happen, you know, going into next season where everyone says, who's going to be the Niners? Who's going to be the Niners that has a complete turnaround that goes from worst to first? Guess what? Do you realize that the Niners in 2018 were predicted to be a borderline playoff team and then Jimmy Garoppolo tore his knee? Like, that team was on the rise. That team looked like it was coming up. They had, obviously, that injury derailed everything, and they had a couple other injuries. So you can't pick a team that was deliberately tanking and deliberately being awful, and everyone expected to not win a lot of games, if any, and then say they'll be they'll be the number one team next year. They'll be the you know the number one seed. That's just not going to happen. The 49ers in 2018 were a team that was predicted to be a borderline playoff team, and then injury derailed that. That's not what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals. They were bad from week one. Actually, they covered the spread against the Seahawks, kind of getting everyone off the scent, but they were bad all season. Yeah, you're right. I remember that week one game, and I'm thinking, hey, man, maybe the Bengals have something here, and then we realized they have absolutely nothing. Two and 14, first overall pick that they've earned for the first time since 2003, excuse me, when Carson Palmer was a selection. All right. We used to get caught up in teams that finish strong. And uh, the Jets and the Falcons both started one and seven. And they both finished six and two. Do we put any stock in the carryover potential for the Jets or the Falcons after going six and two in the final half of the season? I, you know, when I look at, at teams that finish strong, I, I, I want to see a young quarterback that maybe things are starting to click, and that would be Sam Darnold. The Falcons are a little bit of a different case because that's what the Falcons are. They just were really bad to start the season, and it, it's submarine their season. I think the Falcons will be decent next year because they were supposed to be decent this year. The Jets, I'd have to look through the actual schedule, see who they beat, because what happens oftentimes is like, you look through it, and the, and the schedule will soften up, and they'll start winning games, and everyone will get a little bit delusional when it comes to what this team really is. I mean, I, I think back just to, Mike, the Jets losing a play or a, a road game to the Bengals, who we just mentioned as the worst team in the NFL. Uh, what was it, week 14, week 13, when everyone said, here come the Jets? They could, they could make some noise if they put together some wins, and they go and lay an egg against the worst team in the NFL. So... I, yes, I believe Sam Darnold may be taking a step forward, but as a whole, I'm not looking at the Jets being like this surprise team that built on something that's going to then be, you know, they, they, they come into camp being like, hey, remember how great we were at the end of the season? I don't see that. How about the Lions? You know, they had some wins early in the season that were uncharacteristic for them, although they did blow an opportunity to beat Arizona week one and settled for a tie. Matthew Stafford, if he's healthy, makes a huge difference. That's a team that fell apart 
once he got injured. There's kind of that vote of confidence slash mandate for Matt Patricia, the head coach, and Bob Quinn, the GM. Stafford's healthy. Stafford's there. Do you think that they could turn it around and get in contention for a playoff berth? How about, let me let me throw it back at you, Mike. Would you be, if you're the Lions, if you're Bob Quinn and you're looking at this draft and you say Matt Stafford just hurt his back, we don't know what's going on with him, he might want to go play for a team that's not the Detroit Lions, play for a real franchise, do we draft Tua? Do we try to take a shot at Tua knowing that hey. we might not be back up here in this, you know, this level of the draft with two franchise quarterbacks? And I put that in quotes because no one ever knows who a franchise quarterback is until they prove it. But that would be the move I would look at if I were the Lions. Vegas knows something in that regard, Big Cat, because the Lions and the Dolphins are co-favorites at Caesar Sportsbook at minus 110 to take Tua. The Dolphins I get. The Lions, I don't, unless they know something, and maybe that theory that you've just laid out is something more than just a theory. Full hour of PFT Live, still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 